three, two, one. Got him. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to... you got all the advantages, it's easy. Welcome to the Aggie War Pod. I am your host, Mike Craven, senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, texasfootball.com. Joined, as always, by co-host Jay Arnold, former defensive lineman at your Fighting Texas Aggies. Jay, coming in from Fredericksburg, heard you stopped in San Antonio, got some barbecue. How are you feeling today? Uh, I am between the road and the barbecue, ready for a nap. Got that itis. But uh, definitely have the itis. Uh, I mean, I stopped in at Reese's Barbecue and it was fantastic. So uh, good, good meal. And uh, obviously anytime you spend, I think more than two hours in the car, you just have like a desire. To, I don't know if this is just me. I always have a desire to nap afterwards, but uh, other than that, I'm feeling great. <laughs> uh, I feel as somebody who travels a lot, flying, driving, all that kind of stuff for work. And it's amazing how much moving at a fast speed tires you out. There has to be something with our bodies that like just going 60 miles per hour or in the air going hundreds of miles per hour, just tires us out. Cause there's no reason to be that tired from just sitting there, but it, it does happen. Like yeah. we're, you know, you get off the road and it's hard. I think with driving, at least like you're paying attention to the road. And so it's kind of like a mental thing, but with flying, I don't understand why that makes me so tired. I, I guess like you're saying, it just has to be something with the speed that you're moving. Maybe your body is somehow tricked into uh, believing that it was actually running instead of, uh, <laughs> instead of set down. Yeah, it's trauma. It's like, what the heck is that? Like, we're not, we don't have wings. Like, why, why are we going 100 miles per hour? We're not supposed to move that fast. So um, it's a big week. We finally have spring football. This is episode three uh, of the Aggie War Pod on the Republic of, Fo- uh, Republic of Football uh, Network. But we have spring practice. Texas A&M starts on Monday. We're recording this uh, Sunday afternoon so I can get to College Station and, and be at the interviews with, with Jimbo Fisher, uh, Anaya Smith, Damani Richardson also available then at four o'clock we get to watch the first few periods of practice i'd imagine that includes stretching and things of of that nature probably won't get the good stuff Uh, but it'll be uh, nice to see um, them back out in uniform for people who don't know the spring game is april 15th at 3 p.m at kyle field and spring practices you're allowed 15 practices 12 with contact Uh, so this first couple will be uh, just shirts shorts you know helmets that kind of nature so uh, i know we had talked about this on a previous previous podcast you never really got to go through spring Uh, because of injuries and things of that nature but kind of what are the emotions what kind of are the feelings inside of a locker room that like week of spring practice beginning yeah like you said I was dealing with injuries so I was on muscle beach as they called it the whole time but uh with spring practice it's kind of you're getting to actually do football related uh things again as opposed to I mean, obviously, when when you're doing drills and 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 workouts and stuff, it's it's tailored towards football. But to actually set foot on the field and practice, uh, there's there's a level of excitement there uh, to get back into it, you know. And and then you look at the fact that you're also going to be just hitting your teammates the whole time. That's kind of it's a little bit less exciting than going into the season. We'll say, yeah. Uh, obviously, you have during the season, the light at the end of the tunnel is game week. You don't really have that much of a light at the end of the tunnel in spring practice, uh, other than the spring game is just, you know, the last event uh, of that uh, spring session. So it's, there's some, definitely some excitement, especially for the new guys getting in, right. uh, going through their first spring. And then, uh, you know, obviously it's a chance to kind of prove to the coaches uh, that, that you've improved, but it's it's definitely not as exciting as the regular season is. <laughs> Feels like a really important spring for Texas A&M. Obviously, all of them are, especially when they're at, in the SEC. And you know, every week's a gauntlet. But you know, new offensive coordinator and Bobby Petrino, 
year two uh, defensively under coordinator DJ Durkin, and that unit wasn't all that great in the front seven. So, you know, Jimbo Fisher felt like he was kind of on the hot seat here and there last year where that conversation, you know, started with the five win season. So uh, it feels like a lot needs to get done in the spring. I don't know where I stand in terms of how much I take like spring performances or even the spring game into like, oh, this team is in trouble or, um, you know, this team looks really good because who knows if the offense is good, does that mean the defense is bad or vice versa? You never know where that stands. But I remember watching the spring game last year of Texas A&M and wondering what was going to happen offensively, that they were going to be in trouble, at least at the quarterback position in the passing game. And that turned out to be true. So let's kind of start on the offensive side of the ball. We'll split this offense, defense. Uh, we'll go offense first, obviously. Now, last year, A&M was 101st in scoring offense at 22 uh, 22.8 points per game, 93rd in total offense, and allowed 2.8 sack, 2.08 sacks a game, um, 104th in long passing plays. They just weren't very good in explosive plays. So let's start there. You know, I, everything starts at the quarterback position in football, obviously. You know, that's the big, big topic. From what you were able to see last year from Connor Wegman, uh, who was a five-star recruit coming out of Cy Cypress Bridgeland, uh, a dual sport athlete, a professional, uh, a fantastic baseball player, probably could have gone and played professional right out of high school. Uh, do you think he's the guy? Like, do you, what, from what you saw last year, are you pretty comfortable with Connor Wegman's the starting quarterback for Texas A&M? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, obviously, Haynes King transfers out. He's at Georgia Tech. Uh, Max Johnson's going to be the other guy there. But I, I think from the end of the season forward, uh, Connor Wegman uh, appears to be the guy. Uh you know, obviously there were some performances that weren't great. Uh, that Auburn game in particular, the whole offense struggled. But I think it is a mixture of Wegman, you know, being early in his career and, and making the adjustment as a true freshman. And then also uh, the fact that the offense as a whole was struggling. Uh, the offensive line struggled. I mean, we talked about it uh, allowing uh, over two sacks a game, obviously not ideal. Uh, and then they just weren't able to extend the field at all. Uh, so as far as improving uh, from Wegman, we'd like to see that uh, a little a little more downfield action on the throws and then accuracy downfield. But on the flip side of that, uh, Wegman didn't turn the ball over, Yeah, uh, which is, is one thing that I think you can build off of. And it, it's not something that necessarily you see a bit from a, a young quarterback. So I think there's some some positives as well to build off from last season. Uh, obviously, you know, closing out on a strong note with the win against LSU. We'll, we'll see if, if Wegman continues to take steps forward. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, even when he did get the starting role, there was the, the Florida game where he's out with an illness. Mm -hmm. So it, it's it was a really weird season, uh, I think. And as a, as a true freshman quarterback uh, thrown into what was a very – very trying year. I think he did a pretty good job. And I think there are some things for him to build off of. I think it'll be important too. like this time last year, he's just figuring out how to get to class and like what time everything starts and uh, how to pick out his own clothes. Right. And stuff. I mean, you're just trying to get together and get through the day. You know, now he's the guy. Um, what I'm curious about is the Bobby Petrino addition to that offense and, and how much that changes and how much year two is, is similar to a year one where he's having to relearn stuff. Just from what we know about Bobby Petrino and how he wants to run the offense, kind of what are your thoughts on what they're going to ask out of Connor this year? I think we're going to find out a lot this spring. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't – this is one of the few times where I think the spring is going to be really, really important for us to watch, mostly because I don't know how much, you know, leeway Jimbo's going to give Bobby Petrino. Uh, on the flip side, I don't think Bobby Petrino wouldn't have, would have taken the job. Uh, if he wasn't going to get the authority to to call his own offense. Yeah. Uh, so things are going to change quite a bit. I mean, we've talked a little bit about how terminology and adjusting to a playbook can be a, a big impact. That's something that we're going to have to see with Connor and uh, how that affects his development going forward. Uh, so, you know, I, I'd like to say it could go one way or the other, but until we really see him out there on the field, I think it's going to be hard to predict exactly uh how Petrino's offense is going to affect what, what Wegman does moving forward. Yeah, I, I hope that Petrino's allowed to kind of have the unbridled control of the offense because I think it unlocks something in Wegman that, that he would do well, and that's the dual threat thing, right? Like Jimbo's quarterbacks don't move around much. They're not asked to run very much. In fact, they're encouraged not to. 
I, I think Wegman, just from watching him in high school, maybe as a college quarterback, this changes as everybody gets more athletic around him. But he was at his best when he was on the move, when he was freelancing, when he was getting on the run, when he was putting stress on the linebackers and safeties and, and helping his wide receivers you know, get open with an extra second or two. So hopefully with the Petrino offense, obviously he coached guys. Uh, like Lamar Jackson, you know, people like that, you know, he he's used to having quarterbacks move around. I think that's something that's been missing from the AM offense that can not only help the passing game, obviously, but I think it helps the running game as well. Like we're going to talk about running back next and they're losing Devon A. Chain, who had 1,102 of the team's 1,740 rushing yards, over 220 offensive touches, the most by anybody that's not the center or the quarterback who touch it on every single play. So I, I think allowing Connor Wegman, who is a plus athlete, uh, to be athletic, to go do some stuff with his legs, maybe do some RPO, uh, some read option things. Maybe that takes some pressure off a running back position that's got to find some guys to step up, obviously. Yeah, and like you said, it, it's the freelance, it's going to change a little bit. Uh, just because of the the difference from the high school game and the college game uh, is effect. But like you said, Jimbo wants his guys to kind of stay in the pocket. He doesn't want to, them to, to take as many risks. And, you know, with Petrino coming in, uh, I think that, like you said, it's going to open up the offense quite a bit. Uh, I don't think we'll see Wegman as active as he was uh, in high school. I think it's still going to be somewhat tamed uh, as far as freelancing, but It'll definitely make an impact, and uh, like you said, it's. I want to see some more freedom, and and some of that also comes with Wegman having another year at the yeah. college level, right? Right. I mean, you get a young guy in. Part of it too is you, you want to kind of keep some of those impulses in check. Uh, you know, I I had the the pleasure to play with probably one of the greatest improvisers. Uh, of all time at the quarterback position and, and Johnny Manziel and watching him work. He was pretty in, good in practice was, uh, was something right. And so there's a, there's a high standard that I've seen uh, that it's hard for some people to live up to. And, and, you know, like everybody wants that kind of improvisation, but they also don't want to have the mistakes that can kind of come along with it. <laughs> right. And, uh, and you better be pretty darn good. Yeah, uh, to, to take the coach's play and kind of throw it. Did Johnny ever get in trouble for that, right? Where they're just like, Johnny, just run the play, man. It's practice. We're trying to get a look. I'm sure he did in some of the offensive meetings. Uh, I think they did a pretty good job of uh, of not showing, especially because it worked out so well for him, sure. it seemed, quite right. often. Uh, and I, I think uh, the, the improvisation was toned down a bit in practice as well, uh, just because – you know, you, you practice the fundamentals, right? So you practice the, the game plan, you practice the playbook. Uh, but in the game, things don't really tend to go exactly the way you expect them. Uh, there's a lot of variables that come into play that uh, can cause issues and uh, lead to uh, improvisation being a valid option. Yeah. So it, it's, I don't think in practice, you're going to see the improvisation as much, but when it comes to the the, the game, uh, I think there will be a little bit more of that going on this year for I, Wegman. I knew Jake Spavadol pretty well when he was the head coach at Texas State, and I remember joking with him about like, were you calling plays or were you making suggestions? You know, which one? Which one did it feel like to you? And he was like, I, I was making suggestions, but he's also making me a lot of money because he took he took those play calls and you know made them really really good. So I, I think that goes hand in hand. Before we move on to the next position, I, you know, as a defensive player. How much more stress does it put on the defense to have a quarterback who you know is not going to always be in point A? Yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, it's really tough. I remember my my freshman year uh, going into the Auburn game uh, when Nick Marshall was running quarterback for for Auburn. Uh, somebody with that type of athleticism, and you know, he wasn't necessarily as much of an improviser as as much as Auburn was running a lot of quarterback run stuff right but it's still it's put puts so much stress on the defense to stay uh contained and you can't you can't open up the playbook as much as a defense you, you can't really get into the exotics and the twists and the blitzes as much because you have to really make sure that your your rushing lanes are are uh are proper and uh you have to i mean you're probably going to be spying a guy that's that's likely to improvise so 
there's some visibility from the linebacker behind you that you have to worry about. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into it that just kind of really stress the defense that that limit what you can do. Uh, and so that's that's definitely a, an impact when when the quarterback's able to to not be or, or to, to to go beyond what you think uh, the quarterback position is supposed to be. You know, at running back, we, we mentioned the loss of Devon A. Chain, you know, Amari Daniels, Le'Veon Moss, you know, incoming true freshman Ruben Owens out of El Campo seem to be, you know, three of the names to watch there. Is it is it one of those things where like the coaching staff and the players need to just go, look, we're not going to replace that production. What we need to do is figure out multiple avenues to kind of replicate that production. We'll all kind of uh, do it lump sum. Or do you think somebody emerges from that pack to be the number one guy down the stretch? Yeah, it, So it's kind of weird, right? Because A&M, since Jimbo's gotten here, I feel like it hasn't really been a, a running back committee. It's been one main back and then a guy that spells him occasionally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, dating back to 2018 with Travion Williams, uh, 2019 with Isaiah Spiller, and, and 2020 with Isaiah Spiller, and then uh, Devon A-Chain uh, moving forward. It, it's... I think about the running back position a lot like defensive line where you want to see rotations go through there. So it was kind of different for me uh, to, to see the running back position, you know, not really have that rotation. Uh, this is the first year where I don't think there's a clear heir apparent. Uh, I think Isaiah Spiller was always going to take Trebion Williams spot. I think Devon HM was always going to be the guy who took over after Isaiah Spiller left this year. I, I, I don't see any of those guys and immediately think, this is the guy that is, is going to take over. Uh, so, so maybe we have more of a rotation this year, but at the same time, you know, if I look at the, the attributes, uh, Le'Veon Moss, a little bit more of a powerful runner than Amari Daniels. Amari Daniels is a smaller guy, a little bit quicker. Uh, and then Ruben Owens, when he gets in, obviously he has some really impressive speed as well. Uh, so, so really, I just kind of want to see each of the guys get their touches. Uh, and I'd like to see more of a rotation and, you know, maybe Bobby Petrino's offense will lend it to more of a rotation. We'll see if that's a different approach that he takes. But uh, if I had to pick one guy to kind of take over the offense, I think the the durab the size lends itself to a little more durability for Le'Veon Moss. I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I if I had to pick a guy who who lead like if I if somebody said who leads A and M in rushes this year, I think I'm saying Le'Veon Moss. I, the only the only reason I see that being different is if Ruben Owens gets there and is just the dude you just can't take him off the field. But it's so hard to count on a true freshman to not only just be able to do that and be that much better, but to stay healthy long enough to lead the team in tackles, stay durable. Uh, he's going to miss a game or two, likely, right? Like it just it just happens with the bumps and bruises at that position. Uh, but he is super talented, uh, a five star guy, obviously one of the best running backs in the state. Uh, going to be excited to watch him. I also wonder how much just the passing game supplements the running game, right? Like how much of that short passing game with Aeneas Smith back, Tywin Smith, like how much that uh, kind of supplements the running game? Because moving on to wide receiver tight end, on paper, that feels like it's gone from a weakness maybe during the first couple of years of Jimbo Fisher's uh, tenure there at AM, where it's like, who's going to be the guy? Do they have any depth there? To all of a sudden, in my mind, being the strength, the strongest unit on, on the offense. I mean, there's there's an opportunity to line up four wide with the tight end. That's Evan Stewart, Moose Muhammad, and uh, Moose Muhammad, Anaya Smith, Tywin Smith, Donovan Green. Like that's that's not bad, right? There's not many teams even in the SEC that can match that. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with you there that this can be the strongest unit on the team. Uh, I don't know that that the offense that they're running previously lended itself to, to maximizing the abilities there. Yeah. Uh, so that's another thing to kind of watch with how that will impact the receivers going forward. Uh, it's um, Evan Stewart's obviously the guy that you're, you're looking at is, is probably the, the biggest production here. Uh, but from a leadership aspect, I mean, getting an eye Smith back is huge as well. Yeah, just talk about that as, as like a form, like to get a dude that that is that kind of leader in the locker room who's been around for so long, who can fill so many roles. Like how important do you think that is like with a new coordinator coming in, kind of a guy to maybe be a, be a leader in that room and put a lot of young faces and new faces together? Yeah, I mean, anytime you're going to have turnover in a staff, uh, it, it's 
helpful to have guys there that have been around the program. Yeah, skins on the wall. Uh, yeah, and it, it's like in an I Smith's case, especially, right? You're you're looking at this from a guy who's who's seen some, some turnover, who's seen some faces come and go. Uh, he's been around the program for it feels like uh, quite a long time, but he's also a guy that has played multiple positions. Uh, I mean, you look back at that Texas Bowl against Oklahoma State, and he's basically the starting running back there. Uh, I mean, there's just so many, so many things that Anaya Smith does that I think benefit and uh, the program. And I mean, he's an incredible weapon. Uh, we'll see how coming back from that injury affects him, but. Uh, just having him in there in the locker room, uh, kind of to be able to to help the young guys know how to get into a playbook. Uh, somebody who's kind of a, a face of the of the wide receiver room. All of those things just make a make a huge impact for uh, for the wide receiver room. And I think you'll see uh, him him back on the field is going to be a, a big positive for the Aggies. You know, you touched on a point that I think is important. Everybody's trying to find these running back wide receiver duo guys, right? Like we're starting to see it more and more in the NFL. It's becoming more vogue in college football. The whole positionalist football, like basketball went through 10 years ago, where it's like, here, you're four, you're five. It's like, no, you're just playing everything. Uh, I think Anaya Smith, especially if one of those running backs we mentioned earlier doesn't like step up and become the dude, all of a sudden, Anaya Smith on third down can be your third down back. Uh, he can probably be more than that on, on, on occasion if you need him to. Also in the return game, just a huge a huge uh, pickup back for him. It's almost like getting a bonus player, right, like a free agent or something like that because um, you didn't play you know, with him the last, what, eight games of the season, and now, now he comes back to add with, you know, and at the time it was like, man, who's going to step up in, in his spot? Uh, and, it, and there were some rough spots there. There was growing pains, obviously, at the wide receiver position. Uh, but with him gone, it did allow an Evan Stewart to mold himself into the number one wide receiver. It did allow Moose Muhammad to kind of, you know, establish himself as a consistent weapon. I think Donovan Green became a bigger focal point of the offense because they needed somebody in the middle. And that leads me to my, my last question at this position unit. How much does a tight end? kind of change like a guy being able to to be a blocker to be a to be a pass to not be able to uh, dictate like what's going to happen based on personnel how much does that help in offense having a guy like donovan green at tight end it helps a lot and i mean another area that it helps uh is creating matchup problems right. for a defense i mean it's it's tough because you, you don't know who you're going to put on that guy and and donovan green i mean as a true freshman to be uh as successful as he was was kind of a surprise I think uh, you don't really expect – I mean, tight end's a weird one because it's not a true offensive lineman or a true receiver. It's kind of in between, uh, whereas, like, receivers, I think it's a little bit easier for guys to come in because it's a skill position and contribute right away. Offensive line's the opposite. Tight end, I can see it going either way. Uh, and so Donovan Green and, and the fact that he was able to to kind of – pick up the offense and, and like you said, become that threat in the middle uh, as the season wore on. Uh, I think it was good to see. And then, I mean, honestly, you look at this offense too, and, and you have some other tight ends uh, right in, uh, in Jake Johnson, uh, who, who's kind of sitting in the wings there too. So you have to wonder if you're going to see some, uh, some uh, double tight end personnel at, at any point during the season, just to create more matchup issues. But uh It'll be interesting to see how that uh, plays out, especially, again, a new offense coming in. So I don't know how much of a 22 personnel we'll, we'll get out there or, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, that, that could uh, that could dampen the spirit there a little bit. But uh, having having a tight end like a Donovan Green, I mean, going back in the offense to, to Jalen Watermeyer and and uh, Jay Sternberger. Uh, we're all guys that that played big roles in, in Jimbo's offenses, and I think we're uh, can show you how those matchup issues can can really uh, create issues for a defense. Yeah, I mean Green's a future NFL draft pick. Like he's just going to be. He plays a position like you know we've seen Jason Kelsey and kind of what what that tight end's kind of becoming again in, in offenses. Uh, you mentioned Jake Johnson, who you know you, the coaches swear is as talented as you know a super high you know ceiling dude who has. And that kind of recruiting pedigree and, and stuff like that. It just it's crazy how AM so quickly went from 
how do we get, how do we find and manufacture, manufacture enough playmakers to get on the field to, well, which playmakers are we going to leave off the field? Right. Like that competition has to help everybody get better. No, it does. And, and having, it's like uh, in, in wrestling, right. You, you send, you tend to see guys uh, around the same weight classes really improve each other. Uh, and, and when you see, the positional battles in football guys that are going up against each other every day, it iron sharp, iron sharpens iron yeah. and having some young tight ends that are, that are really talented working with each other and, and, and being able to pick each other's brains and uh, to, to really develop as a season or as a, as their careers progress. Uh, it's something that's, it's, it's almost an embarrassment of riches there at that position. Yeah, it feels like skill position wise, AM figures out running back, and you know, they should have one of the better seven on seven units, right? In the state of Texas in the SEC. And that leads us to the big guys up front. I mean, so many so much of what football, like we talked about all this stuff. It really most of it doesn't matter if the offensive line doesn't block. What were your thoughts on the 2022 offensive line and, and that performance? Where did you I, I felt like sometimes the fans were a little bit harsh on their performance. Did you think that they played up to snuff or was it that big of a disappointment? Uh, I mean, this one's tough, right? I think I expected more improvement out of the offensive line. I think the expectations made the, the performance seem really bad, right? Yeah. Like, But on the flip side of that, you're also losing who was the best piece of the offensive line the year prior in Kenyon Green, yeah. who obviously is already successful in the NFL. Uh, so – Maybe in hindsight, being 2020, uh, we shouldn't have expected the offensive line to take a, as big of a step forward as we thought. Uh, but I think there's definitely some clear room for improvement. You look at the uh, the pass protection, not particularly great. Uh, you know, I think the the tackle positions are are going to be where the most improvement needs to happen. Yep. Uh, you, you look at the interior and. I mean, Bryce Foster was injured for a lot of the season, so that that's a, a big impact on uh, on the interior. Your, your center's the quarterback of your offensive line. That's going to be an impact. Uh, but having a guy like Cam Dewberry, who was a freshman, come in and and be a factor, you know, he didn't start from day one, but he's clearly uh, going to be an impact player moving forward. That's nice to see out of a guy who's a, a true freshman. Then obviously later on, sit on the other side uh, is, is a strength at guard as well. Yeah, I, I got those written down in my notes as well. Like Dewberry, Foster, Robinson, guard, center, guard feels like a strength, right? That feels like, you know, an all SEC performance type type offensive line. How big is having that center back? Like, does that help everybody else out? It, it definitely helps everybody else out. It, like I said, I mean, he's going to be the guy that a lot of times picks out uh, alignments of the defense uh, to help make the, the reads on, on blocking schemes and uh, doing a lot of things. So having some consistency there at the center position is huge. Uh, it, it's something that I think has kind of had a negative impact as far as foster missing time with injury. Uh, you know, not that the guy backing him up, I, I'm, for whatever reason, I can't remember his name now. McCollum, is that right? Yeah. Uh, not that he's bad by any means, but there's still that consistency factor that isn't necessarily there that can uh, cause some issues. Uh, so ha having Bryce Foster back and hopefully healthy through the spring will be will be massive. Yeah, I think Ruben Fathery at right tackle felt like a guy who plateaued out a little bit last year. It was like he was he was good as a true freshman. We expected him to make that slump, maybe or make that jump. Maybe it was just kind of a sophomore slump type of thing. But I loved him coming out of Richmond Foster. He's like six eight, former basketball player, a huge guy uh, with a lot of upside. The left tackle spot, though, like it'll be interesting to see because I'm always interested in like how many jobs are actually open because like coaches always tell you. They're like every job is open on the field. Well, AM technically technically has about five starters coming back on the offensive line, but how many of those guys are like really pinned in as a starter? I think guard guard center guard. It's hard for me to imagine Fathery uh, loses his spot at right tackle. So maybe left tackle is really the only spot uh, that's like a quote unquote open competition. But they need to find some depth too. Like that's the other thing with AM. It felt like 
you know, they had five guys, but if any injuries happen, kind of fell off a cliff, maybe there's some more depth there after the recruiting class they had. Not this last year, but the year before that. Now they're redshirt freshmen or sophomores. Uh, hopefully those guys are able to step up because they, like you said, they have to get better for the, uh, like the quarterback gets the most attention in the passing game, et cetera, et cetera. But the offensive line has to get better. Uh, Texas A&M was, I had it written down here, 72nd in the nation in red zone touchdown percentage. Uh, that a lot of that's just being able to like pound it in once you get in there. And then uh, I don't know how you stand about this, but I've always felt like the running game by and large is an extension of the offensive line. Like give me a really good offensive line and an average running back over a really good running back and an average offensive line. Maybe the improvement up front kind of eliminates some of the loss you get with Devon and chain going. Maybe you don't feel it as much if that group is better. Yeah. If the offensive line is creating holes for the running backs to go through, I think, uh, you're not going to see as much drop off in production. Uh, I think, like you said, it's better to have a, a fantastic offensive line and an average running back. Well, in this case, I think last year you had a little bit of the opposite. Right. Uh, Devon A. Chain and his speed and the things that he's able to do were, were creating the production. Now it's the offensive line's turn to, stand, to, to step up. Uh, and like you said, I mean, Coaches are going to say every position's up for grabs, but really I think four of the positions on the offensive line are pretty sealed up. Left tackle maybe being the only spot that maybe has a, a little bit of an opening. But, I mean, even at the guard positions, you had guys like uh, Jordan Moko who made starts uh, that got injured and, and maybe coming back. So we'll see if, uh, you know, some of the guys coming back from injury help provide depth and uh, make a – make a little bit more of an impact on the offensive line. We'll see if things shift around. Uh, I mean, with a guy like Ruben Fathery, like you said, uh, I thought I was impressed with him freshman year and expected a bigger step up as a sophomore. I think watching the film, one thing that I noticed is he had a little bit of a tendency to bend and reach uh, from the tackle position, which I think allowed guys to get around him a little bit easier. Uh, he, if he can use that length a little bit more, maybe play a little bit more balanced, I think you'll see some of those issues get eliminated. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, spring's uh, the time for improvement. And, uh, you know, there's definitely improvement needed on the offensive line. And and like you said, uh, it'll, it'll be a battle to, to fill the production gap left by Devon A. Chain. And I think uh, some of that falls on the offensive line as much as the running backs. Let's move to the defensive side of the ball as I put in my computer charger before this whole uh, experience goes crashing down the middle of the thing. Um, Let's start with the good news. For, let's go over some stats first before we get into specific units. You know, defense, you know, scoring defense-wise, they were 25th in the nation. That was the, the best in the state at 21.2, first in passing defense, but 123rd in rushing defense, 111th in sacks at only 1.5 a game. Uh, but they did good in the red zone, 20th in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. That's a stat I love. Like, I red zone percentage, scoring percentage doesn't do much for me, but touchdown percentage – uh, I think it says a lot about you, about your defense and really about your offense as well. And then 25th in uh 20 plus yard plays allowed uh, pretty good there on explosive plays. And that, that goes back to the secondary. So let's, let's do defensive back first, since I think we've talked enough already to know that that's probably going to be the strength of this team and has been uh, the strength of this team. There's fewer question marks there. Do you still, do you think that there's a way that this secondary is even better this year, even without Antonio Jack, Antonio Johnson, Jalen Jones, or is there going to be a drop-off even with the transfers that they've brought in? I, I think it's tough. I mean, like you said, first and passing defense. So it, it's, you're going to have got to be a drop off. got to be, got to be a drop off. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, I don't see much of a drop-off. I think this is still going to be the strength of this uh, this defensive unit. Uh, there's still a lot of guys that got experience last year. Uh, I mean, and then, again, like you said, the, the added uh, transfers coming in. So it's it's a, it's a deep unit. It's a, a unit with a lot of talent. And it's also a unit that has a clear veteran leader in Damani Richardson. Yep. So you look at all of those aspects and, and you see these defensive backs and you got to think that that's still going to be a very, very strong unit. Uh, we'll see, obviously losing Antonio Johnson is a huge loss. Uh, he's a guy that is just an immediate uh, factor. Anytime he steps on the field uh, playmaker that can cover a guy that can also rush the passer as a blitzer, uh, a guy that can do just about anything you want him to do on the, the field defensively. Uh, so that's going to be tough to replace, but 
I mean, you saw a lot of guys get experience last year. Uh, the freshman, especially, I mean, Bryce Anderson was a guy that I came away really impressed with uh, that, I, that I think is going to be a factor going forward. Uh, so I, yes, there's going to be a drop-off because there has to be a drop-off yeah. more than I think it's going to be a, a problematic piece of this defense. I mean, a three-man corner rotation of Tyreek Chappelle, um, Tony Grimes, the, the transfer from North Carolina, Sam McCall coming in as well. Throwing, you know, like th- those, those are real dudes, right? Like that, that's, that's three guys. What I, the only spot that I'm, I'm concerned is the wrong word, but what, who's going to be the nickel, right? Damani's going to be back at strong safety, you know, Gilbert, Gilbert there at free safety. I guess Bryce Anderson may be the leader in the clubhouse to play nickel, depending on if you want more of a cover man there, or if you want more of a safety hybrid kind of guy there. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but I, I would probably put Bryce Anderson there. If I had to pick a favorite, he's really good, man. That, that's a, that's a football playing dude right there. Yeah. I mean, he's, and the other, the flip side of that too, is uh, with Damani Richardson coming back at safety, maybe you can afford to put uh, Anderson there. Uh, if, if you couldn't before. That nickel spot. Like, I feel like when teams were going to the four, two, five, that nickel spot became like slot space, slot, receiver specialist right where it was like the defense's answer to a slot receiver it was always like the smaller corner who may not be able to match up outside with six three six four x wide receivers or whatever but now the way the tight ends kind of come back in vogue even in air raid offenses kind of the adjustment back to kind of power football in a lot of ways um, has made that nickel spot kind of this outside linebacker strong safety corner guy like it feels like the toughest position in football to play on the defensive side of the ball because you got to be man enough to play linebacker and help and run support you got to be fast enough to cover you know slot receivers and big time receivers in college football like it just it feels like a, a position that is asked to do maybe more than anybody else in defense in, in defense it's kind of the unicorn position now yeah uh, right so it, it's, I definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying about, uh, you know, it going from a, maybe a smaller slot specialist type defensive back to, to somebody who can kind of do it all. Uh, I think Jared Kerr is another name to watch there too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and it, you got to have the athleticism and the speed, but you also, again, like you said, uh, have to be a, a little bit more of a physical presence than maybe in the past. So it's uh it's gonna be interesting to see who steps up. I think that's another spot that I'm really, really uh gonna be honing in on that during during spring ball to see kind of who fills that gap. I think the good news for AM is whoever quote unquote loses that position is a quality football player that you can go win football games with, right? And the goal is to have a two deep, you know, and just because you maybe don't win the job in the spring, it doesn't mean you're not gonna play a whole lot of snaps. Uh, in the fall, somebody's going to get injured. Somebody's going to go down. Somebody's not going to be as good. I think AM in the secondary has a pretty solid two deep at every single position. And they're bringing in a couple of recruits uh, that are going to, you know, compete for time there as well. So I think the secondary is going to be fine, even though we will, we'll both agree that there has to be a step back uh, just because they were the best, you know, secondary of the nation. You lose a guy like Antonio Johnson, you're not going to be as good as you were with Antonio Johnson. But the way we talked about the offensive line, helping the running backs in the running game an improved defensive line would help that secondary, right? Like even if the secondary takes a slight step backwards, a defense that gets more than one point sacks a game, one that's better than 111th in sacks, one that's better than 123rd in rushing defense has to help take pressure off that secondary. Cause it felt like last year opponents go, well, I mean, why do the hard thing? We don't have to try to throw the football. Let's just run the football. A&M's not going to score very much. Their, their defensive line is not going to play very well. How do, As a former defensive lineman, as somebody who I'd imagine pays attention to this more than maybe anybody else, where do they, how do they get better? Like, how does this group, which is pretty much the same group of guys, come back on the same coordinator and improve on that defense? Yeah, experience and staying healthy, I think, yeah. are the two things that are going to make an impact. Uh, for one thing, McKinley Jackson, who I think was projected to be the leader of this defensive line unit last year, was banged up for quite a bit of the season. Uh, getting him back, I think, made an immediate impact uh, on the on the guys, especially in the middle of the the defense. Uh, so, you know, staying healthy will be big, but just getting those bodies up front a, a little more experience, uh, getting more used to seeing the speed of the game, and and being able to to get used to what it's going to take to shed blocks at this level. 
you can't throw guys around like you could in high school. You can't just uh, kind of put a guy over there and, and, and make a tackle uh, like, like maybe some of these guys were used to. Uh, so getting another year of that experience, the talent is, is available. It's, it's consistently being able to make plays. That's the other thing too, is, you know, I'm seeing guys light bulbs go off occasionally, right. Where, where you can pick out plays that, that guys made that, okay, well, if we can just get him to, to, to replicate that more, more consistently, uh, they could have a real force up there. And that's guys like uh, Walter Nolan, especially, I think is, uh, is a guy that's going to be a real problem for defenses moving forward, but there's depth as well. Uh, guys that got injured, uh, Gabriel uh, Brownlow Dindy is, is a guy that I think is somebody to watch in the, in the middle. Uh, so that's the, the interior though. Like you said, the rushing the passer aspect from the defensive line too. Uh, you're going to have to find somebody that can, can rush the passer. Uh, for me personally, I mean, I thought after the first game of the year, uh, realizing that's Sam Houston State, but uh, Fadil Diggs was was a real force in that game. Uh, and he looked like somebody going forward. But again, guy got banged up. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if they can stay healthy and, and, and get a little bit more pressure on the passer. Is there a guy or two that, you know, maybe was just kind of learning the ropes or, as you said, banged up last year that you're just – you're excited to kind of see get a real run for it? Uh, I think Brent Lodendi is probably that guy for me uh, just because I think he was banged up a little bit. And, and as a true freshman, that's – defensive line as a true freshman is very, very tough. I mean, it's a different kind of physicality. Taking on taking on double teams, especially in the interior, is, is just a – uh, a level of, of, of abuse on your body that you're not going to be prepared for as, as much as you can say you trained for it. There's just no possible way. Uh, but I think with him getting a, another full off season in under his belt, I think he's the guy that can make a real impact. You know, I've always wondered how that happens, like from a psyche standpoint, because I'd imagine growing up, you never got moved off your spot. You know, like there probably wasn't many high school offensive linemen, even with the double team that really moved Jay Arnold far as a human being. What is it like that first time that you are moved by another grown man? Like when they're 22, 23 years old, like maybe with a family and all of a sudden you're realizing like, this isn't, this is a little different than maybe it was previous. It's extremely humbling. <laughs> uh, I mean, I was used to, in in high school, I could just, you know, turn my shoulder into one guy and, and, you know, kind of base out the other guy, set my feet and I'm good. I'm not moving. Yeah, right. Uh, that is not the case <laughs> in, in, in college. But the other thing, the flip side of that too, is they're technically better. Right. So it's not just the, the physicality aspect where they're stronger and faster. They're also better coached and, and technically better not to discount, you know, some of the coaches in high school and you're just, when that's not, your only job you're going to be uh you're not you're not going to be able to coach the guys up as much as you'd like to you gotta go teach algebra yeah exactly so it's i mean all those things combined it, it will be an extremely humbling experience whenever you're uh thinking that you're going to be able to just set your feet and kind of uh stalemate it and all of a sudden you're uh 10 yards back and you're getting driven into the safeties you got a you got a first pancake story oh man i mean just kind of looking up at the uh at the Who sky was it? uh i think it was jarvis harrison uh because i it was my freshman year and i was still pretty light as well uh but you know we we were a little bit banged up and a little bit light on the defensive line and and at one point i actually moved inside the three technique even though i was probably 270 at the time and this was during camp and i just got blown off the ball i'm flat on my back and i'm like this is uh this is a little bit different. This is not something that I've experienced. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, and you're a wrestler too, right? So like it's not like you don't understand leverage and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. And that's why like I'd encourage uh anybody that's gonna play football to to wrestle just because it it teaches you so much about your body and, and using leverage and angles and and balance. Uh that's the other thing is like I'm not used to getting knocked off balance. Uh but there's just a certain level of physicality where uh, you can have all the training in the world. If you get hit at the wrong angle, it doesn't matter. Yeah. 
And then lastly, on the defensive side of the ball, and I feel like it may be the position unit I'm most worried about or believe needs to step up the most as, as that linebacker. Um, Edrin Cooper didn't really take the step forward that we thought he was going to take, kind of like a Ruben Fathery uh, situation. Some of that, again, banged up, injured. Um, you know, Chris Russell as well, you know, maybe not as good there in the middle as we thought, 123rd again in a rushing defense. Like what? Those seem like the guys at linebacker. It doesn't seem like anybody was brought in to, to unseat those dudes. Uh, what do you think the linebacker position needs to, to figure out here? Is it just as simple as run fits like we talked about last time, or is it a physicality thing? Oh, it's a little bit of run fit, a little bit of physicality, and then, I mean, just uh, trusting yourself. I think there was a little bit of a lack of confidence from, from the linebacker position. I think uh, they were second-guessing where they were supposed to be a lot of times. And that's something that, you know, you're not going to always guess right, right? Sometimes you're going to fill the wrong hole. And uh, I think uh, the problem with this unit was by hesitating sometimes last year, they weren't only not filling the wrong hole, they were also kind of taking themselves out of the play. Uh, and that's something that we'll have to see improvement on going forward. It, it's tough, though. I mean, of the same token, the defensive line wasn't helping them out as much as they needed to. Uh, the defensive line wasn't getting driven back into their laps. Like, like I, I think I touched on this last week. Like, mm-hmm. they're not getting blown off the ball. Uh, so it's not like the linebackers immediately had a defensive lineman in their lap and and were taking away their 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 ability to to fit. But by the same token, the defensive line needs to be better about shedding blocks and making plays so that the linebackers can fit more clearly. So you add in those factors. Uh, I just I want to see more confidence out of the linebacker position is my, is my main thing. And, uh, you know, I would have liked to to see the linebackers, you know, pick up uh, some depth there that's really worrisome going forward. I mean, it's it's thin. It's very thin at the linebacker position. And we'll see, you know, if, if I mean, hopefully those guys stay healthy because that's that, that is a very concerning area for me. Yeah, I mean, Aiden Ciano, uh, the transfer from, from Rice, I mean, a good player. Um, I watch a lot of Rice football because I have to, and he, he's not somebody who's going to come in there and take anybody's job. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's going to be a solid player. He's, he's a solid box-to-box linebacker uh, in a good spot. Could probably help you at fullback as well if you ever needed uh, help there. But he's not somebody who's going to come in and take Edrin Cooper's spot, right? So, like, he's coming in a, as depth. And, yeah, you got to hope those guys are healthy because – you know, honestly, you get past those first two and you may be looking at like a Torian York from Temple needing to come in and, and play right away. And that's a hard position. We talk about defensive line being a hard position. I'd imagine linebacker is a very hard position to come in and play early. Hopefully a year, uh, year two under Durkin kind of helps with that, the mental sch- schematic fit part. And then it just comes down to like athletic ability. And if, again, like we talked about, if you're on scholarship at AM, you got the athletic athletic ability to go play. You just got to know what you're doing and be confident in what it is. Yeah. And that's, I mean, like you said, it's, it's a position that's very tough to adapt to because it's the physicality of dealing with linemen coming to block you. But you also have to have the mental capacity to do a little bit more than, than your uh, defensive line is going to be. You're going to be reacting. Uh, run versus pass. I mean, there's eye discipline involved that maybe isn't as as major with with the defensive line. There's a lot of factors that go into it. You're making the calls. You're making the the strength calls as as a linebacker. So it's 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 very tough. Uh, and, and that may taking forward this year. I think that'll do it. For our spring overall big spring preview, again, AM starts practice on Monday. This will hopefully be out, you know, sometime during the day on Monday as well. Um, you know, it gets going at 4 p.m. 15 practices leading up to that spring game on April 14th, 3 p.m. at Kyle Field. Uh, I will be there. Hopefully, we can talk Jay Arnold maybe into getting out there uh, as well. Um, we can feed him barbecue or something. We we'll probably entice him in, in some form or fashion. Before we get out of here, though, I wanted to give you a minute or two. Uh, to maybe brag about your Houston Dynamo's win over Austin <laughs> FC, and it uh, it's always great to see the Dynamo have been struggling uh, these first few weeks of the season, but they finally went home to the stadium in, in Houston, uh, and they got a win over uh, a team from Austin, which is always uh, a nice bonus. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I am a big Austin FC fan. I actually was the first beat writer for Austin FC at the Austin American Statesman and got to kind of travel around that first year. So I, I know a lot of the coaches and the players. So I've become, I'm not, a, I, I have lost a lot of my fandom ability as I've been in this job, right? Like you're 15 years in this job and it's, it's really hard to be a fan. Soccer is kind of that one haven for me where I can still kind of be a, a fan. When Houston plays Austin, we need to get you down here. Because I think it's a top five sporting event in the state being at Austin FC like that. You don't Houston Dynamo. That's fine. I'm sure it's a good time. But like there's not it's not a full place. It's not rocking. It's not packing. Come to Austin FC. It's like 30 straight sellouts already. The longest streak. Like you would enjoy the vibe. I think you would I would you would almost test your allegiance. I believe you would almost (laughs) be tempted to root for Austin FC. That's how fun it is. Yeah, I mean, uh, my guy Clayton Cook uh, from the Leroy and Lewis team is a big Austin FC guy. And uh, the videos and pictures I've seen from him uh, are just unreal. Like that, that is an electric environment. It's I mean, legit. It's, it's not all the way to like European soccer levels, but it is, it is about as good as you're going to get at soccer in the United States. And yeah, that's definitely a place that I want to see a game at. Like as somebody who quite literally traveled the country that first year with Austin FC, Portland, Seattle, obviously big soccer, big soccer pockets, but those stadiums are so big. Like Seattle plays where the Seahawks play, right? So like, it's hard to get an intimate setting. Austin FC is 21,000 people and it's packed every single time. It's got the band going. Uh, It's really good time. We're going to have to get you down here because it is is a lot of fun. And there's Valentina's barbecue inside the stadium. Um, So, so we got it all covered here. Oh man, that sounds like a dream. All right, man, we will talk. Well, we won't talk next week. I am going on vacation, a poorly planned uh, vacation on my part. I need to pay attention to when spring break is for colleges and just travel then. But then I'm an introvert. So the idea of traveling on the same week that spring break is out seems like freaking horrible. Uh, can you imagine getting stuck with a bunch of college? Oh, kids? my God, I can't. Even. <laughs> I can't. I That was one of my worst nightmares when I was a college kid. Now that I'm closing in on 40, uh, that sounds like an existential crisis. Uh, coming to life but uh, i will be in hawaii maybe we'll uh, record over the weekend or not if not we will be back early in april uh aggie Warpod, you can find it on twitter uh, you can find it on spotify apple everywhere you find podcasts please rate and subscribe to republican football and visit texasfootball.com for the latest around the state covering all 47 college football programs in the state of texas for mike craven for jay arnold talk to you next week